Welcome to the Bradenville Church of Christ podcast. We are a family of believers striving to be the first century church in the 21st century. We're located at 285 Church Street in Bradenville, Missouri. Please join us for Bible study Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. with worship to follow at 11 a.m. Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. Now, please enjoy our lesson. Good morning. We're glad you could join us this morning. Again, we're at our homes because of COVID, but we're glad that you could be here with us to to worship with us and sing these songs with us. We're going to begin with some of our kids sing songs. The B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the word of God. The B-I-B-L-E, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, the Bible tells me so. Here's a new one I don't think we've sung on our online services. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me and the life which i now live in the flesh i live by the faith of the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me very good let's see before we sing songs um let's do a little bit of our memory work when i say genesis 1 you say creation genesis 1 creation genesis 2 God's pattern for marriage. Very good. One man and one woman joined by God for life. That's God's pattern for marriage. Genesis 2, God's pattern for marriage. Genesis 3, fall of man. Genesis 4, Cain and Abel. Very good. Genesis 6 through 9, the flood. Let's see. Let's add one more in here. Genesis 11. What's Genesis 11? Remember? Very good. Genesis 11, the Tower of Babel. We'll keep working on those. We also work on things like um, how many books are in the whole Bible? 66. Very good. How many books are in the Old Testament? 39. Very good. How many books are in the New Testament? 27. If you would open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, we've been traveling with Jesus for the past two weeks on his way to the cross. And as we begin to wrap up this red letter year, we're going to think the next two weeks about the red letters that we read on the cross. You know, Jesus didn't say a whole lot in the last days and even minutes of his life. We we read... Uh, very few quotes that he gave in his trial. But as he went to the cross, he said some things on the cross that we really need to think about. 
uh, and to, to let our let soak into our hearts and minds and to let it really drive our love for Jesus and our love for our fellow man. This week and next week, we're going to look at those phrases that he utters on the cross. And we're going to begin this week with three phrases that he spoke in, um, in reflection or in, in to serve other people. You think about the purpose in Jesus coming to this earth. He came down here to serve mankind. As the creator of the universe, he, he is the ruler of the earth. But he came down here to serve mankind and to do it in a fleshly body like you and I have. And he didn't just do that in his in his miracles or in his feeding of the of the multitudes or in his healing and all the things that he did in his preaching. He even did it on the cross, and that's what's amazing to me about the ministry of Jesus was that it wasn't just a ministry that stopped at the cross. He continued to minister to those around him. He's going to offer some comforting words to his mother, and he's going to give some saving words to. A a fellow person on the cross to a neighbor there on the cross, a thief on the cross. And he's even going to offer a prayer on behalf of those people who are his persecutors. And it's important that we understand that these are words that Jesus offered in service to his fellow man. So we're going to begin in Luke chapter 23. And we want to start in verse 32. Where Jesus has been led to the cross, verse 32 says, There were also two other two others, criminals led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to a place called Calvary, the Hebrew word there would be Golgotha, meaning place of the skull. There they were crucified. There they crucified him and the criminals who were on his right hand and the other on his left. And you think about how Luke and even Matthew and Mark describe that scene. Uh, we've we've probably seen movies of the crucifixion of Jesus, and we've seen it portrayed and how agonizing it was. And and these men simply portray it as the crucifixion. They crucified him there. But we think about what that the suffering that went into that, the the pain and the the anguish and the humiliation and the shame of being lifted up off the face of the earth on a on an old rugged cross. That's what we see Jesus experiencing here. But notice the first words that we read in verse 34. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not, they do not know what they do. Can you put yourself in Jesus' position, in Jesus' place? Think about what the first words that you would utter, that you would want recorded in a book that's going to be passed from person to person, from nation to nation, from people to people for 2,000 years, the first words that we read of Jesus on the cross are a prayer to the Father for forgiveness. You think about who he's praying there for. He's praying for people who do what's described in the next passages. Look at verse, look how verse 34 ends. And they divided his garments and cast lots. These are the Roman soldiers here around the, around the, the cross. They took his clothes and they divide them up and they cast lots for them. And this was prophesied that this would happen. Verse 35, And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen one of God. You recall we read that last week over in Psalm 22, how this was prophesied to be, to be said. 
Look at verse 36. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. You've got the, the, the people, you've got the Jewish leaders mocking Jesus, sneering at Jesus. That, that Greek word there literally means to turn up the nose at. He was, he was a person that they would turn up their nose at. You've got the Roman soldiers here dividing his clothing and casting lots for them and mocking him and, and saying things like, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And listen to verse 38. An inscription was also written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself. You notice even the criminals there on the cross, the criminals that are, that are crucified with him, are beginning to blaspheme him, to speak against him, to, to, to rail against him. And these are the people that Jesus is offering this prayer for. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. That, in essence, is the, the mission of Jesus. He came to this earth to be the Savior for those people who for a sinful world that, in essence, didn't really know what it's doing, didn't understand the consequences of sin, don't fully comprehend the wrath of God against sin. Now God would pour out sin, His wrath upon mankind if it were not for the sacrifice of Jesus. But why would Jesus do that? Why would He, why would he be so uh, intent on asking for forgiveness for these people who are um, intentionally... Uh, uh, acting in, an, in, a, in a, an oppositional way to him. And you think about what Jesus taught. Jesus taught forgiveness. And, and it's important uh, when you're a teacher, when you're a preacher, when you're, when you're a Christian, that you do what? You practice what you preach, right? Remember Jesus stating words like this over Matthew chapter 5. This is in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has offered the, this prayer here a model prayer for his disciples. And in the prayer, you remember he says, uh, forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us, or forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And he closes the, the prayer with this admonition. He says, for if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father Forgive your trespasses. We think about the, the necessity of forgiveness. And Jesus here, he, when he speaks these words, we understand what he's saying, but we don't maybe always understand the implications of it. Jesus says that it is essential that we forgive men. And as we go through our, our life, as we think about the experiences that we have with, with mankind, sometimes it's easier to forgive people than other times. Sometimes it's easier to forgive somebody of something of a, of a slide or a word that they said that, that maybe they didn't mean. But then you have people who are intentionally antagonistic towards you or, or try to harm you. And it's more difficult to forgive those people. And yet Jesus tells us that it's our duty to forgive people. But what if you were hanging on a cross? What if you had been arrested and beaten and blasphemed and spat upon and struck with the palms? You've been hitting, you've been hit with a reed. You've had a crown of thorns placed on your head. Now you've had nails driven through your hands and feet and attached you to a cross and stuck up for everyone to gawk at. How's your forgiver working then? 
And yet Jesus here on the cross, he offers this prayer to the Father because that's why he came to the earth. That's the heart of Jesus' ministry, but it's the heart of his life. It's the heart of his purpose to be the one to bring forgiveness to those who are otherwise unforgivable. Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. That's the heart of the gospel, isn't it? To seek out the forgiveness of God and to find it through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus here is asking forgiveness for those who didn't otherwise deserve forgiveness. And yet that's what he is about on the cross. Notice another phrase that Jesus offers here on the cross. We read verse 39 how one of the criminals blasphemed Jesus saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. Notice there that he throws himself in there. He wants Jesus to, to save him even as he's blaspheming him. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? The second criminal, earlier we read in another gospel that he was, a, he was in, um, in agreement with this first one as he was blaspheming Jesus. But at some point in time, his heart's changed. His, 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 his mind comes back to him. And he, he rebukes this first criminal. He says, don't you fear God? Don't you, don't you have any, any um, understanding of the condemnation that we're under? And he says, and we indeed justify, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. These men were rightly being crucified for their deeds. They were thieves, and that was the punishment that was due to them. But this man has done nothing wrong. How did he know that? One of the things that we forget sometimes about people is that Jesus was a man who was well known in that region. And he was somebody who had had a lot of interactions with people. And this man knew something about Jesus. He knew that he was an innocent man. He knew he was an upright man. He knew he was a, a man who had, um, had authority. And he's going he's gonna to call on Jesus' authority. He says, verse 42, Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What does that tell you about this thief? He knew more about Jesus than the fact that he was just a good man. He knew more about Jesus than that he was a man who did some miracles. He knew something about the nature of the kingdom and the nature of the king. He knew that Jesus was a, was a, uh, had preached the message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He, he could have possibly been there on the mountain when he heard Jesus speak about the kingdom and the nature of the kingdom. Uh, that wasn't the only time that Jesus preached that message because we can read over in Luke when he was out on the plains, he preached the same message about the kingdom. And so this is a man who knew about the kingdom and he knew about the king and he knew about the authority that the king had. And that's important for us to remember because Jesus says to him in verse 43, Assuredly, I say to you, and Hebrews says, Amen. I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Isn't those wonderful words to hear from our Savior? Wouldn't it be great for, for us to hear those words offered when we come to the end of our life and we are, we're facing death to hear Jesus say, Assuredly, today you will be with me in paradise. That's a wonderful a comfort that Jesus gives to this thief on the cross. Now, a thief on the cross has brought up some questions, though. Some people ask questions about the thief, and they want to know, well, was the thief baptized? 
or did Jesus take the thief into heaven with him when everyone is that the paradise that Jesus is speaking? Well, let's talk about that for just a second. Now remember, this thief knew something about Jesus. He knew about the kingdom, and he knew about the authority of Jesus. But there's something else we need to remember. Sometimes you'll hear people answer the question of the thief on the cross, and they'll say, well, because he was there with Jesus, Jesus had the power to forgive him, and Jesus has the same power to forgive me today. But notice, that's not necessarily consistent with the message of the gospel. The first thing we need to remember is that John came preaching in the wilderness, and he was preaching a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. Mark tells us in Mark chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. And so there was a, a necessity for people to be baptized, even prior to the death of Jesus on the cross. Now, it was the baptism of John, but it was a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, looking forward to the death of, the, of Jesus on the cross. But the other thing we know is that all of the region came out to him. You remember, it says all of Judea and all of Jerusalem, everybody came out to him. And the, the majority of the people were receptive to his preaching. Matter of fact, it was probably more likely that people were baptized by John than those who weren't. The, the only ones that we find who really were in objection to the baptism of John were the Jewish leaders. And you remember, he called them a brood of vipers. Brood of vipers who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come. We also learn, though, from John chapter 4 that Jesus and his disciples baptized. And matter of fact, John tells us in John chapter 4 that Jesus and his disciples baptized more people than, than uh, Jesus and his disciples baptized more than John the Baptist baptized. And so when you think about the likelihood of a person having been baptized in the baptism of John, a baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, the likelihood that a person, say the thief on the cross, would have been baptized is probably higher than if they hadn't been. The other thing we know about Jesus is that He came to do the will of the Father. And if the will of the Father was to preach a kingdom and the need for repentance and a need for baptism, that would have been what Jesus would have preached. And He wouldn't have done anything in opposition to that doctrine. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 30, that He came to do the will of the Father. And so when we come to the thief on the cross and we think about the idea, was he baptized or not? The Bible doesn't tell us that. The, this thief was in the presence of the suffering Savior. He was in the presence of the one who had the ability to save him. And yet, based on the Scriptures, we see how Jesus operated in, in, in harmony with the will of God, that Jesus and the disciples baptized, and that John baptized, and that baptism was of a repentance for the remission of sin. The likelihood is probably higher that he was than he wasn't. Now, what about his destination. He said uh, that remember me when you come into my kingdom. And Jesus said to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so the question then arises, well, was the thief taken up in heaven? Now remember what the scriptures tell us about the destination of Jesus after he died. We remember over in John chapter 20 in verse 17, after Jesus' resurrection, he's there with Mary in the garden. And at first she doesn't recognize him, but then after he says her name, uh, Mary, she, she recognizes him there and she comes to, to, to basically to wrap her arms around him. He says, don't cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the Father. At the time of Jesus' resurrection, he had not yet been to the throne room of God. We turn over to Acts chapter 2 and we remember as Peter and the other apostles were preaching on the day of Pentecost, they preached the 
crucified, descended Savior. They said that you remember they, they tied the prophecy of David to the death of Jesus when he said, You will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. And that was the message that they preached, that Jesus descended into the Hadean realm. And matter of fact, that's the power of Jesus' resurrection, is that he showed his mastery, he showed his, his dominion over even death and Hades. And so where did Jesus go? Well, the Bible says he went into Hades. What does Jesus call that? Well, he calls it paradise. Well, how do we reconcile it? How do we reconcile paradise with Hades? But you remember a story that Jesus told. Some people call it a parable, but it's not a parable because it's not a, a reflection of the kingdom and it's not something that we can even relate to. Remember, a parable is a story that lays alongside, it's a spiritual truth that lays alongside a relatable experience. A sower sows seed, a fisher throws a net. Uh, those are things that you and I can do. You and I have never been to Hades before. And yet Jesus tells the story of the rich man Lazarus, how the rich man woke up in torment, and the the, that Lazarus woke up in the bosom of Abraham where rest was, in, was his reward. And Jesus relates that scene as a picture of what would happen when, when he would die. And so where was Jesus when he died? He was in Hades. Where was he particularly? He was in the bosom of Abraham. Where would then have the thief have been? He would have been with Jesus in the Hadean world in the bosom of Abraham. Now we know Jesus rose up from that but where would the thief be even to this day? He would be there with those who are, are, have been the children of God that are awaiting the resurrection. Many people look at the thief on the cross as the exception to the rule or as, as, as evidence of a different type of salvation. But in, in essence, the thief on the cross is the example of how Jesus saves. He saves according to God's will. Uh, on the, the, the day of his ascension, he would give the great commission to his apostles and he would tell them to go and preach this good news. The thief on the cross is an epitome of that that we need to remember. And then the last thing we see Jesus, uh, the last uh, red letters that we want to refer to today is found over in John chapter 19. If you want to turn over there to John 19, where Jesus, uh, in a very tender moment, he, he sees his mother at the cross. Think about that for just a minute. How, how, could you, how could you stand to see your son put on a cross? What would, what would be the emotions that would be going through your, through your heart and through your mind at that time? And then picture yourself as being Jesus on the cross looking down and seeing his mother there witnessing all this. Our, our hearts can't help but be broken at this scene. In John chapter 19, beginning verse 25, Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. It's interesting, you've got three Marys here at the cross, and then another person who's not named uh, Jesus' aunt. Um, they're standing there watching Jesus suffer. And you think about all the things that could have been said at that point in time. But Jesus here is still serving others. And here he's going to serve his mother. He's going to do the, not just the duty of, a, of the suffering Savior, but the duty of a, the oldest son. You remember the responsibility of, of children was to take care of their parents. And in particular, it was the, the oldest son's responsibility to make sure that the parents were taken care of. And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, he said to his mother, Mother... Behold your son. 
Now it could have mean that could have been taken that Jesus was referring to himself, but the 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 author here notes that this disciple standing by was the object of it because of what he says in verse twenty seven. Then he said to the disciple, "Behold, your mother." Now here the, this disciple is not identified, but if you go to the end of the book of John, in in the the last chapter of John. John identifies himself as that disciple whom Jesus loved, which would have been there here, John, the, the author of the book. Jesus here is taking care of his mother in a time where most of us would probably be, our minds would pre be preoccupied with the pain and the suffering we were going through. Jesus here was again serving other people. And John took this to heart, says, and from that hour that disciple took her to his own home. And extra-biblical sources note that John did take her into his home and, and, and cared for her until the time of her death. Jesus, though, continues to serve. And he served, uh, he served his mother. He served a, a, a thief on the cross. And he even served those persecutors, those people who were, were willing to, to stand by and you know, crucify him, crucify him, who were willing to mock him while he was on the cross, to, to take his garments and to divide them and to sneer at him. Jesus was willing to serve them and ask God to forgive them. And he does the same for us. As Jesus is on the cross, we have to remember that our sins there are upon him as well. And Jesus is asking for forgiveness for even our sins. Because oftentimes we don't know what we do. We don't understand the consequences of what we do. Not just the physical consequences of sin, but the spiritual, eternal consequences of what we do. That's what Jesus is praying there for on the cross. Next week we're going to look at some more red letters of Jesus. Where Jesus is going to interact with the Father. Where Jesus is going to, to express his, his extreme... Um, Distress over the situation that he's in and the burden that he's carrying on the cross. And he's going to bring his ministry, he's going to bring his work to a finish. That's what we're going to note next. But uh, between now and then, let's just think about what Jesus did for us on the cross to be overwhelmed with the, the, uh, the service of the suffering Savior. We're going to sing a song here to bring our, our, our um, worship time to a close. And I want to encourage you this week, if you, if you have a need, if there's something that's come up uh, in your life that you're struggling with, feel free to reach out to us on our Facebook page. You can send us a comment. You can send us a question. If you need to obey the gospel, please reach out to us, and we'd be glad to help you with that. Jesus, before he ascended, he told his apostles that they were to go out and preach the good news, the good news of the kingdom. And that good news was the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And he asked us to to emulate that in our lives. We're to put the old man of sin to death through repentance, that we are to confess the name of Jesus. We're to be baptized in his name for the remission of sins. We arise a new creature. If you haven't obeyed the gospel, we want to encourage you to do that. Let's have a prayer together. <clears throat> Our gracious and glorious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your son Jesus. We thank you for the red letters that we read on the cross. We're thankful that he was willing to serve others, and ultimately he was willing to die there for our sins. Heavenly Father, we pray your blessing upon the church. We pray that you'll help us to all be safe this week. We ask your blessing upon the sick. Please help them to, to be strengthened uh, spiritually, but also physically. And please be with uh, the, the little ones that have uh, been brought into the world and be with those families who have lost loved ones. 
Forgive us of all of our sins and help us to be forgiving of others. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. For more information about our church family, please visit our Bradleyville Church of Christ Facebook page. We hope to see you soon. Till then, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We hope you have a good day.